We're so glad you're here with us in person. And for those of you watching online, welcome. We're glad you're here with us. If you ever find yourself here in Visalia, please join us. We'd love to have you. We have some of the, the best people in Visalia right here at Deep Rooted Church. Amen? Amen. Amen. This is a good place to be. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew chapter 5. This is where we started all of this. We started talking about a pure spirit last week, seeing God more clearly. And in Matthew chapter 5, the scripture says, blessed are the pure in heart. Someone say pure in heart. And we discussed last week what that meant, what that word heart meant. And it's really a combination of two things when the scripture is talking about the heart. And the heart is, is, is made up of the spirit part of you and the soul part of you. And whenever the scripture says heart, it's either referring to both of them combined or one or the other. So you have, that's why studying scripture is so important. Amen? That's why when, you, when you're reading the word, don't just glimpse over the page and the words and check off your reading plan. You have to pay attention to what the word is saying because not all the time the word heart means the same thing. In this case, the word heart can be translated as the spirit and the word heart can be translated as the soul. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in spirit, when you're purified and you're born again spirit, which is what we've been talking about earlier, that is the born, the, the spirit that you were created with is gone away with, and the new spirit is, is, is put inside of you by Jesus. And when you have that new spirit, now you can, you can hear the voice of the Lord, you can understand scripture, receive revelation, you can see God. And with the soul part of you, we're going to get into that in, in the later weeks, but the soul part of you aligns with Romans 12, uh, verse 2, that if, you be, if you're transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will prove God's will. In other words, you can see what God wants for your life. You can see God clearly. So we can certainly take this and go with the spirit, but we can also take this and go with the heart or with the soul. So that's why when you're reading the scripture and you see the word heart, it can either mean both the spirit and the soul combined or either of them. It's very important that you understand what the scripture is actually saying. I'll give you one more example. In Ephesians, the Bible says, Paul said that he prayed for the church of Ephesus, who were born again believers. He said, I pray that Jesus, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Well, why on earth would he pray that prayer to born-again believers. When you become saved, Christ comes into your heart. That's apparent. But why would he pray this? It's because he's talking about them not just having Jesus in their spirit, but also acknowledging and recognizing him through their soul, through their mind, their will, their emotions, which goes along with Romans 12 too, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you see how it's important to distinguish what is the Bible talking about when it says the heart? So what we're talking about this week is continuing over from the spirit part of us. You've been born again. If you haven't been born again, you don't have a new spirit. 
You have a spirit that belongs to the world. Jesus says that that, that's the spirit of the world, which is your sons of the devil, your children of the devil. Because the devil, he owns the world. He rules the world. This is his dominion. This is where he reigns. But God's given you the authority to take back the dominion, but you don't have the authority unless you have the spirit. The authority comes with the spirit. Amen? Amen. When the spirit comes inside of you and lives inside of you and creates a new person in you, you have been given authority to rule and reign on the earth. But until then, you have no authority, you have no power, and you belong to the devil. This is why the church, this is why a lot of new believers don't like going to church because they hear that and then they, they leave because they think I called him the devil. <laughs> you're not the devil, you're just his son. You're just his daughter. But when you're born again, you become the son of God, the daughter of God. Amen? You're, you're not part of the world anymore. It's, and, it's, and it's that easy. Right? You don't have to work for it. You don't have to strive for it. You don't have to achieve for it. All you have to do is confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and receive it. Amen? That's how easy it is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Bible says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So that's us born-again believers. That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. That knowing that it talks about, that we might know the things that we've been given, that's seeing God clearly. That's seeing his will for our life. That's seeing what he wants for us, right? But when you, when you don't know those things, when you're unsure about what's actually yours, it's like your, your, your eyes are covered with mud and you can't see what God wants. You don't know what God wants because your vision is blurred or because you're distracted by many things. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how to purify your life externally so you can see God more clearly. But before we do any of that, we have to understand that purifying our heart, our spirit, is the most important part to purify. Without purifying the spirit, without becoming born again, it does not matter what you do on your soul. It doesn't matter what you do in your body because you're going to be impure on the inside. Without purifying the spirit, nothing else will, that you purify will matter. That is the first most important part of purification in the spirit. But after you've done that, then you've been given the spirit of God. Then you can see God clearly. You can see what he wants for you. You don't have to pray, create in me a new heart, O Lord. God's given you a new spirit. He's given you a brand new, perfect, untapped perfect spirit on the inside of you. And the good news is nothing you can do can make that spirit impure and nothing you can do can make it even more pure. It's pure regardless of you. That's the good news. Because some of you woke up this morning and said, how can that be? I just did something bad yesterday. Nothing you can do in your actions can take away what God did with Jesus's actions. Oh, that's a good one. We're going to get into this today. It's going to be good. It might, it might cause you to think differently. And it might challenge you today. But that's all right. 
That's what the church is for. It's to edify the body of Christ. It's to build you up. And how, do you, how many of you know that building something requires you to, to hammer something in with the nail and with the hammer? You got to put some effort into it. You got to put some stress onto it to see if that structure is actually strong enough to support the whole structure, the whole building. You have to put some weight on it. You got to challenge it a little bit to see if it's strong enough to endure. So I'm going to challenge you this morning. Some of you might already know all these things, so today is just a walk in the park. Others, it's like a sprint. So before we go on, I just want to recap something from last week. Our spirit, soul, and body. Spirit, soul, and body. Those are the three parts that God made us up out of. And in 1 Thessalonians, we give the proof of that. It says, now may the God of peace him, uh, may, oh my goodness. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Someone say completely. Doesn't say partially there. It says completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. And I love this because our spirit is already perfect. So that's done. That's step one. Checked off. Now there's two thirds of us that need to get purified. It's our soul and our body, which we're going to get into later. But notice how God is expecting us to preserve all three parts before the coming of Jesus. Now, this isn't a requirement to get to heaven. As long as you have Jesus living on the inside of you, you're good. And that's not a requirement because you're never going to be sinless. You're never going to be perfect in your, in your actions. The only part of you that is perfect and sinless is the spirit. And that's all that matters to get to heaven. But... There are so many good benefits to purifying all three parts blameless. So many good benefits. And it's funny to me because when, when, we, when we hear about this stuff in church, about purifying your life and, and getting rid of distraction or getting rid of junk in your life, we sit there in the church and we cross our arms and go, oh, he's talking about works. How dare him get all legalistic and talk about the law with me. But last time I checked, when you went to the doctor and said, hey, I'm not feeling well, and the doctor said, take this, do this, and stop doing that, you don't sit there and go, oh, how dare you tell me not to do, work, or to do works and to stop doing that. You listen to him. Why? Because he knows what he's talking about. He'll help you get better. And that's the same thing with the word. The word of God, when taught properly, is not a list of do's and don'ts, it's a list of things on, on how to improve your life. It's a list of things of, of, uh, that will help you see God more clearly. Anyone want to see God better in, in every day of their life? Doing It's like a prescription. Instead of trusting in a physician, trust in the great physician and his prescription. Amen? Thank you, Lord. So we're still dealing with the Spirit. I'm, getting to, I'm already in like week 10 with where I'm going. I got to go backwards now. So we're three parts, spirit, soul, and body. That's who we are. The spirit part's what we've been dealing with, and it's the most important part of you. Um, if you can put that graphic on the screen. So we're spirit, soul, and body. The Holy Spirit communicates with the spirit on the inside of you, the one that Jesus placed inside of you. He, that's how you communicate with God. It's through spirit, spirit to spirit. But then you have the word of God, 
and direct revelation. So that's when you're in the word and you're reading it and all of a sudden the lights turn on and you see things you've never seen before in the scripture. That's taking place in the spirit. God's word only, it's, it only communicates to your spirit. That's why the Bible also says that this, the Bible refers to itself as a spiritual mirror. And you can only discern things spiritual to spiritual. So the Bible says. So your spirit is the most important part of you. But then, once you understand that, your soul, which if you renew your mind, it is your mind, your will, and your emotions. You felt sad yesterday? That's your soul. You felt happy this morning because you're at church? That's your soul. It's your mind, your will, and your emotions. When you renew your mind by God's word, you become transformed, not because something just happened just magically. You got to understand this. When you renew your mind to God's word, you're aligning your soul and your mind with your spirit. Do you know your spirit has a mind? The Bible says that I have the mind of Christ and I know all things. You might not think you know all things because you didn't pass a certain test. But if the Bible says, I have the mind of Christ, that must mean that mind has to be somewhere else than in my physical flesh. Correct? So if that mind of Christ isn't in the soul, where your, where your mind's at, and it's not in the body, you can't feel it, where is the mind of Christ at? In the spirit. So your spirit has a mind. And your soul has a mind. And don't get freaked out now. All right? Some of you might think I'm talking about schizophrenia or something. Your spirit, that's why the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. That sound mind, you might not be feeling that sound mind right now. Some of you might be freaking out because of what I just said. But the sound mind's in the spirit. When you renew your mind, your natural mind, to the word of God, which reveals the spiritual mind, you become single-mindedness. The Bible talks about in James that he who is double-minded cannot receive anything from the Lord, for he's unstable in all of his ways. What's a double-minded person? Someone who has a spirit of God's mind in them that says what the word says, but then their natural mind saying the opposite. Two minds right there. To become single-minded, you get your natural mind, read the word, let it transform you, and let your mind agree with what the Spirit's mind says. You become single-minded. Amen? Once that happens, you see the arrows? The Spirit then downloads stuff into your soul. And then once your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, once that gets a hold of it, it gets that revelation then you can start telling the body, hey body, you're not acting right. The Bible says that you should be healed. So I believe I should be healed. Then your body acts healed. Amen. It trickles down like that. But notice your body has no connection to the spirit except through the soul. So what we're going to be doing throughout this whole series is we're going to go in that progression. We're talking, we're still talking about the spirit today. The spirit the spirit inside of you is the most important part to transform. Those of you who are born again, you are, you are transformed. You have a new spirit. But you still need to know this so you can tell other people. And so this makes more sense to you. So once the spirit's taken care of, then we're going to go into the soul. 
We're going to talk about your mind. We're going to talk about how you think. We're going to talk about the stuff that takes place inside of you, the things you can't see. And then we're going to finally end with the body, what you do with your outward actions, how you, how you conduct yourself. So you need to stay here for the whole time. And if this is your first time, if you're, if you're watching online for the first time or if you're here with us for the first time, come back for a few weeks. Don't just stay here for one service, test it out, and then go somewhere else. At least give us three or four weeks to see if this place actually is for you. And by then, if it's not for you, then, then we don't want you because that's not your place. Go find your place. But if this is your place, commit to staying here at least for one month. All right. That's a good word. We're, see you later. Church dismissed. Thank you, Lord. This is one of my favorite teachings, spirit, soul, and body. It is so good. This will, this, it's so simple. If I could, I could just preach on spirit, soul, and body every single weekend. Because really, this one revelation will unlock every single thing that you ever need. It really will. Understanding that your spirit contains everything God has for you, renewing your soul, your mind to receive the things from the spirit, and then believing to see it in your body, that's every problem. You need financial, uh, you need a financial transformation or you need a financial miracle? Well, know that the spirit of God has every rich, riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Believe that in your soul and you'll start receiving it in your body, in your, in your physical, natural world. It applies to every single area of our life. <clears throat> so let's keep going. Your spirit is the most important part of you. And your soul needs to be in line with the spirit to start receiving the things in the body. And like I said before, without purifying your spirit, nothing else will matter. Without, without purifying and then understanding what you have in the spirit... It doesn't matter what else you believe or what else you do. That's the most important part. Everything else will be in vain if you don't have a pure spirit. And I said this last week. At the end of our life, all of us are going to die physically. Every single one of us. Born again or unborn, not born again. We will all die the same death. We will cease from living and existing on this earth. But the, the, the not born again people, they die another time. And that second time is their spirit being separated from God eternally. Never again will they have a chance to be with the Lord. And that's unfortunate. But with this, the born-again people, we die once. We die on this physical earth, and then we go on and start. I said start our real life up in heaven with Jesus for a little bit of time, and then he sends us back down to earth. Isn't that crazy? We're not going to stay in heaven forever. I don't know if you ever thought about that before. But when we die, we go to heaven for a little bit of time. Compared to eternity, just a short amount of time. And then God creates a new heaven. And he creates a new earth. And he sends us back down to earth. And that's where we will live forever, here on earth. Isn't that awesome? Yes, it is. And I say this because why did he create the earth in the first place? For man to live on forever. And then sin came and corrupted it, and now we're here today. But God created the earth for us to live eternally on. 
So he's going to send us back once he makes a new one after he conquers the enemy once and for all. So there's three areas of freedom that will take place after you have a new born-again spirit. Number one, if you're writing notes, is freedom from death. We will be freed from death. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Someone say new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Some of you might think, old things passed away. What are you talking about? I still think the same things. I still do the same things. I still feel the same feelings. I still have the same sickness. What are you talking about? All things become new. Again, going back to the diagram, the spirit part of you, all things have become new in your spirit. Every single thing has become brand new in the spirit. But the flesh, your soul and your body, they're still trying to catch up with it. They aren't brand new. If you were overweight before you became saved, you're going to be overweight after you got saved. If you were dumb before you got saved, you're going to be dumb after you got saved. Amen? I'm telling the truth. That's because that's your soul. That's your body. They're corruptible. They're not perfect. And so they didn't become brand new when you became born again. Just the spirit part of you, that became 100% brand new. That's why the Bible also says that the flesh profits us nothing. It is the spirit that gives life, not the flesh. The flesh, this body will die. We will go into the ground. We will become back into the dust of the earth like how we were created. But our spirit will never die. So we are freed from death, the death that matters, which is separation from God. We will be with him forever. That's freedom from death. And notice that it says this, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So that, that's current, present tense. Not he will be a new creation. He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. What does that mean? It's past tense. Old things have already passed away, not passing away. And behold, all things have become new. What does that mean? It's already done. It has happened already. Everything has already become new. You're not becoming new every day. You have. That's it. You, then that's why it's talking about the spirit part of you. Because the flesh is becoming new every day. But your spirit has. Your spirit's already as perfect as it can ever be. And it will be for all eternity. So you're not in a process. This isn't a process of, of, of purifying your spirit. That's done. It is complete. You are a new creation. You are not a sinner saved by grace, but you are the righteousness of God. Your spirit is sinless. So you're not a sinner. You are saved by grace, but you're not a sinner. Your spirit is perfect. People who say I'm a sinner saved by grace tell me immediately how, who they relate themselves to the most how they see themselves the most. People who say that see themselves in the flesh more than they see themselves in the spirit. 
When you sit there and say you're a sinner, when you sit there and say you're unrighteous, you're not worthy, you're unholy, you're telling me that you are focused more on your flesh than you are on the spirit, which the spirit's more important. The spirit is actually who you are. So, so stop saying that. You're not a sinner saved by grace. Your old spirit has already passed away. Thank you, Lord. In Colossians chapter 9, or chapter 2, verse 9, the scripture goes on to say, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. Praise God. The spirit contains the fullness of God. And when God gives you his spirit, you contain the fullness of God. You contain the fullness of God. You don't contain a portion of him. You're not the prophet Elijah who has a portion of the anointing and where someone like Elisha has to ask Elijah to give me a double portion of the anointing. You have the fullness of God. You have the full anointing that God has given you. And that's, a good, that's so awesome. I, I admire the prophet Elijah. I admire the prophet Elisha. I admire all the Old Testament prophets for what, for what they did. But the Bible tells me I have something greater than them. You have something greater than Elijah. You don't need a double portion anointing. You don't need God to, to give you more than what he gave so-and-so. We all have the fullness of God dwelling in us. You don't need more of him. You don't need a, a touch from heaven. You have heaven on the inside of you. You have God dwelling in you. The Bible says that, that God, out of his mouth came all things. Did you know the sun is like trillions of degrees in temperature? That came out of God's mouth. And that is a small sun in the universe. Everything came out of the mouth of God and he's, that God lives on the inside of you. How awesome is that? Man, if, you don't, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood is wet. Like, that is God living on the inside of you. That is powerful right there. And if God dwells in you, that tells me another thing. Jesus can't live in a sinful environment. So if he lives in you, what does that mean? You're sinless. You're sinless. Oh, someone called the Pharisees because he just said heresy. You are a sinless person. You are sinless in your spirit. You better believe you're sinless because Jesus can't dwell in you if you're not sinless. You don't, you're, you're none of his if you're not sinless. You're going to hell if you're not sinless. So you better believe that I am sinless because Christ cannot dwell in me if I am not sinless. But Matthew, I just sinned yesterday. Again, you're talking about the flesh. 
You're dealing with the flesh too much. I don't care what you do in your flesh. God doesn't care what you do in your flesh. I'm going to talk about that later before you guys throw stones at me. (laughs) God cares about what the Spirit says, what the Spirit is. He looks at the Spirit and he sees, he determines. It's like like God's looking throughout the earth and and there's, there's like a an x-ray vision that he can see and he just sees all the spirits inside of people. And as long as you have the, the spirit of God, he identifies with it. He says, oh, that one's mine because I created that one. I, I made that spirit. That one's mine. I didn't make that one though. That one's not, not of mine. He's not looking at what you do. He's not looking at, at who you are in your, in your soul and what you believe. He's looking at your spirit only, and that's how he determines who is his child. That's it. You ever see a cow with a little ear tag on its ear? That's like us. That's like God tagged us. And he said, oh, that one's mine over there. Cow number 57. That one's mine. And the ones who don't have the tag, it's not his. Until they say, hey, give me the tag. That's how he identifies us. That's how he sees us is through the spirit, not in your actions, not in how holy you can be. You can be the holiest person on earth and you'll have good things come to you because you're not living in sin, but that's not how God sees you. God will, the, the, the two people on the cross with Jesus, you had one, they were both thieves. You had one who was on the cross and he sat there and mocked him mocked Jesus and said, if you are the son of God, then, then why don't you save yourself and get down? Then you had the other one who said, Jesus, remember me when you go into your kingdom. And Jesus said, surely you will be with me in paradise after you get down the cross and get baptized and tithe. No. He, none of his, the, the guy literally had no opportunity to do what Christians say is necessary. He didn't have a chance to get baptized. He didn't have a chance to go to church on Sunday. He didn't have a chance to give money. He was going to die. All he had to do was have faith in Jesus. That's it. And Jesus said, there it is. That's him. I know that one. See, it doesn't matter what we do on the the outward. God sees us through the spirit. The Bible says, that we worship, that God is a spirit, and we worship him in spirit and in truth. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So your spirit is so perfect, it's so pure, that God had to make sure it couldn't get defiled again, so he sent the Holy Spirit to seal it for you. You ever gone to to the grocery store and take a jar of pickles home, and the moment you open the jar of pickles, what do you usually hear? A pop. That pop is indicating that that jar was sealed, correct? Correct. Just like how those packaging companies seal their products, the Holy Spirit has sealed you and you cannot be contaminated by the outward forces. Amen? You're safe. You're protected. God has made sure of it 
that your spirit cannot get defiled ever again. Ever again. No matter what you do on the outward. No matter what you say. No matter what actions you commit. Your spirit, as long as it's his, cannot get tainted with sin. It has, sin has no direct effect on how God sees you. But this is what it does do. It doesn't have, a, have an effect on how God sees you. Sin has an effect on how you see God. Sin will, will distort your view of God with the help of the enemy. But sin, as far as God is concerned, does not change the way God sees you. And God doesn't see you as a sinner saved by grace. He sees you as the righteousness of his son, Jesus. Wow. That's amazing. So the first thing was freedom from death. The second thing is freedom to God's throne. This is what I love about God. When God frees you out of something, he doesn't just leave you there. He frees you into something. When he takes you out of something, he brings you into something. The Bible says that God takes the solitary and puts them into a family. That's what God does. And in fact, there's, there's so many examples of this in the scripture. God freed Adam and Eve out of eternal sin in the garden and freed them into grace through physical death. It, you probably never thought about that before. You, you probably thought that God kicking them out of the garden was judgment. But that wasn't judgment. That was the grace of God working. Because if they were to stay in that garden, guess what was in the garden with them? The tree of life. And if they were to partake of the tree of life, after they took the tree of good and evil, then they would live in sin for the rest of their life and never die. So God said, get out of the garden. He put an angel in front of the garden to guard it so they could never return to it ever again. And he let them die physically so they can come back to him eternally. That's grace right there. Then God also, he took the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage. And the Israelites, man, they messed up on their own. They complained, they, they murmured, they were never satisfied, but God took them out of bondage and he set them into freedom. And with that freedom, they chose to be in bondage. They chose to complain and be in the wilderness. Remember what my friend Dustin Barker said a few weeks ago? He said, God didn't just send them into the wilderness. They kept saying, you've sent us to the wilderness to die. So God said, because of what you said, it shall be so. So they were in the wilderness and they died. It was their own fault. But God freed them from bondage and set them into freedom. Jesus in the New Testament, he took the woman who was caught in adultery. He freed her out of condemnation and shame and brought her into grace and mercy. You see, God will never take you out of something and leave you there. He will always bring you into something great. So he frees us from death and he frees us to God's throne. In Hebrews chapter 4 it says, Let us therefore come boldly 
to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. The, our pure spirit gives us access to God's throne. It's, it's like when you have an access code or if you, have, if you ever check into a hotel and they give you the hotel key card. Your key is the only key that can open that door. I don't care if you come with friends and you have different rooms. Your friend's key can't open your room and you can't open their room. Only you can open your room with the key that they gave you. The spirit on the inside of you is like that key. And when you go to the throne of God and you see the doors right there and you walk up and you see that little red light and it turns green because it sees the key. And you're able to walk straight into the throne of grace without any shame, without any timidity, without any worry. You can enter the throne of grace with boldness and ask the Lord for help in a time of need. Before... They had to have the holiest man go to the, before the Lord and the Holy of Holies, the tabernacle and the temple, and they had to tie a rope from what I've heard. It's not in the Bible, but they had to tie a rope around his leg with bells on it. And he had to walk around in the Holy of Holies to let the people outside the curtain know he's still alive. And the moment those bells stopped jingling, they had to pull out that dead body and find a new high priest. But now we have access to his throne with boldness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. He always frees us into something good. You know what the word righteous means? It means right in God's eyes. Right according to God. Just according to God. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you're, you will never sin in your body ever again. It just means that God, you, you and God are good. God saw the debt that you owed, paid it, forgave it, and said, we're good. We're right. And that's all that that word righteous means. It doesn't mean holier than thou art doesn't mean better and more anointed than the next. It just means that you're right in God's eyes. Thank you, Lord. And this is good because God cannot have a relationship with sin. In fact, God, he is so holy, he can't even look at sin. That's why what the Bible says, we read it a few weeks ago, that we were once afar off, aliens from God, so far away from the Lord because he couldn't even look at us. We were so sinful. In Habakkuk chapter one, the place where your pages are stuck together, says that this is talking about God. You are of pure eyes than to behold evil. And cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? It's saying you can't even look at sin. Your, your eyes are so pure and so holy that they can't even look at sin. That's how holy they are. We don't understand that because our eyes look at sin all the time. Willingly. And unwillingly, 
Our eyes see things we, sh- we know we shouldn't see, and our eyes see things that we, we don't want to see. But we see sin all the time. God's eyes cannot even look at it. That's how holy and perfect he is. So you better believe that your spirit is righteous and pure because if it wasn't, God couldn't even look at you. But here's the good news. I don't know about you, but this is, this is true about me. God has a picture of me in his wallet. That's how pure my spirit is. God has a picture of me in his house, and I'm right there, a big 20 by 20 portrait of just me. Because he loves me. And he sees me because I have a perfect spirit. You have a perfect spirit. See, God, God has a, a house and he goes to each one of them because he, he has each house because he has so many children and that house is dedicated to that child. The house that God lives in with me has me everywhere. He loves me. He has a house for you too. He has a lot of houses. So when you understand this, you can go back to the Old Testament and you can see why God was so harsh and how, how he dealt with sin and why the reason why he dealt with sin was so severe because he hates it. He can't look at it. He can't stand it. He can't relate with it. He hated sin so much he had to do something about it. You ever heard of what's called the mercy seat? I have, a, I have a diagram on, on the screen that we can show you that shows the, the Ark of the Covenant. This is in my book. If you want to grab it, it's in there. And, it, and I, I go a little bit more in depth at that book, but it says the mercy seat is the very top of the Ark of the Covenant where the two cherubim, cherubims meet together. That little, inch, that little area right there is the mercy seat. And you can read about that in Hebrews chapter 9. But inside the ark, you ever seen Indiana Jones? Doesn't look like that. Inside the ark of the covenant contains golden pot um, with manna in it, the holy manna. And then the Ten Commandments along with Aaron's rod. And you'll, you can read that in Hebrews. It contains all the information there. And this is, once I found this out, it blew my mind. Because the mercy seat is where the people would, the high priest would get the animal sacrifice and he would sprinkle the blood of goats on the mercy seat. So he would get the animal and, and here's, the, here's the mercy seat and he would he'd get the, the blood and he'd get it and he'd sprinkle it on top of the Ark of the Covenant, just like that, on the mercy seat. And what that did That was done on one day every single year called the Day of Atonement. You can read about it in Leviticus chapter 16. I'll read a little bit. It says, For on that day the priest shall make an atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all of your sins before the Lord. And it goes on to say, um, It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you. And you shall afflict your souls. It is a statue forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as priest in his father's place shall make atonement and put on linen clothes and holy. You see how many rules there are? Shall do all of these things. 
And then verse 33, shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make an atonement for the tabernacle uh, of the meeting and for the altar. He shall make an atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. This shall be an everlasting statue for you to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. So this was a command to do. And what this did was this, when he sprinkled the blood of goats over the mercy seat, it's as if that blood acted as blinders to God's eyes. I I don't know how you can see this, how I see this. But let's just pretend, let's just pretend that these are the Ten Commandments. What were the Ten Commandments? The law. The first set of laws that God ever established. What happened when God, set, uh, when God presented the first Ten Commandments? Grace left the room. You ever been in a room where you, you had beef with someone? And once they entered the room, you left? It's okay to be honest. You ever been in that situation where you just couldn't stand to be in the same room as someone else? And so you leave. That's what grace did when the law came in. Grace is hanging out with the people. Hey, what's up, Moses? Hey, what's up, Aaron? How you guys doing? And then they hear someone walking through that door, and it's the law. And they said, hey, guys, got to go. And grace left. Once the law came, grace had to leave. And grace, and the law came with the Ten Commandments. That's what the Bible says the law was given by Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus. And they put the Ten Commandments down in the Ark of the Covenant just like that. And here's the mercy seat, and it covered the Ark of the Covenant. God would relate to the people based on what that said, what the law said. And every time that once a year they sprinkled the blood of goats over the mercy seat, which covered the Ten Commandments, it's as if the blood of those goats covered the law and God couldn't see the law. So then God couldn't condemn people. God couldn't keep people accountable because he couldn't see the law. That's what the blood did. And that's what it's talking about. That's why it's very specific as to what what the high priest is to do. Sprinkle the blood over the mercy seat so that God can't see the law and impute sin. But then, Hebrews chapter 10, and this is where I'm going to be ending, if I can have the band come up. For the law, having a shadow, someone say shadow, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of those things, can never with the same sacrifices, which they continually offer year by year. What was that? The day of atonement. He's talking about exactly what we just read in Leviticus. He said which those, those same sacrifices could, that, that they offered every year could never make those who approach perfect. For then, would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers once purified would have no more consciousness of sin, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. 
For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. And it didn't. It covered them momentarily. He sprinkled the blood every single year. But guess what? The next day, they were back in sin. That's why every single time they wanted to approach God, they had to offer some sort of sacrifice to cover those sins. But then the high priest every single year would do this ritual and it would forgive those sins from the past year and try to prevent the sins for the new year. But it didn't work. They only, it only worked for a moment, but it only covered the sin. He sprinkled it on and it covered the law. God couldn't see the law anymore so he could relate to the people. But the moment someone sinned, that blood evaporated and God saw the law again and say, nope, you're out of line. And it says, what the law couldn't do, it couldn't take away sins. It could only cover them for a moment. Just for one moment. But in verse 9, it says, Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first the law, that he may establish the second, grace. He takes away the law so he can establish grace. By that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. What the blood of goats and bulls could not do, the blood of Jesus could do and more. The blood of goats just covered sins for a moment, but the blood of Jesus completely washed them away. Completely washed them away. That's why Jesus sits on the mercy seat and no more blood of goats and bulls. Because God sees Jesus, and if you're in Jesus, he sees you. That's why nothing you do on this earth can take that away. Nothing you do on this earth, no sin you can commit, can change the way God sees you. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. It says it takes away. We've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. You know what that means? Once for all, he died one time for all sin. One time for all sin. You do not have to pray every single day, Lord, forgive my sins. He died once for all of it, past, present, future. If you have to pray every day for God to forgive your sins, you're saying, Jesus, thanks for yesterday, but please go back on the cross today. And you make the cross of no effect. He died one time for all sins. The only sin that's not covered 
is the sin of not accepting him. That is the only sin that is not covered by the blood. The only one. But he died for every single sin that you've ever committed, that you are committing right now, and that you will commit tomorrow. It's forgiven. It's paid for. Your spirit is perfectly cleansed. Amen? That is the power of purity. That is the first step of purity is recognizing what took place on the inside. Stand to your feet this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. There might be some of you online watching who've never committed your life to Christ. And that's all right, because you got the moment to do it every single day that you have breath. And it is the single most best thing you could ever do is receive Jesus into your heart, confess him as your Lord, stop living your life dependent on what you can do, but on what he has done. And if you have not received Jesus into your heart, if you're still living with an old spirit, with your old nature, with your old man, with just, with a sinful mind, it is so easy to change that for a new spirit. And we're gonna give you the option this morning to do that, to make Jesus your Lord. If there's anyone in this room who has never said that prayer, now is your day, now is your chance. This opportunity comes every day for you to make. But if, if those of you who, who have already made that decision, I'm gonna ask you to help those who haven't made that decision. If you're watching online, feel free to say this out loud wherever you're at, whether you're watching this at home on your couch, driving in the car, or maybe you're in prison. You never made Jesus your Lord. You can say this prayer wherever you're at. And Jesus will give you a new spirit that is perfect, that's free, and that'll cause you to prosper in any situation that you might find yourself in. So if, you're, if you want to pray that prayer this morning, just say this after us. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin. I know I am a sinner. And I need a Savior. Come into my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Tell me what to do, Lord. I need your guidance. I need your help. I need you as my Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. Thank you for coming into my life. And thank you for changing me from the inside out. I'm all yours, Jesus. I live my life for you now. This is a new day. This is a new life. And it's all for you. And if you said that this morning, why don't you give the Lord a hand clap today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. And the Bible says that when, you, when one person becomes saved, the entire angelic hosts in heaven are having a party. 
So we believe that's true. We believe that that is the best decision you've ever made. If you have made that decision, we have a book called A New Life that we'd like to give to you. It tells you what happened and what to do next. Uh, we don't want to leave you stranded. So if, you, uh, if you're local in the area, if you're watching online, come down to Deep Rooted Church. We'd love to have you and disciple you and get you plugged into a, a small group. Um, and if you're here in person, if you did that, say that prayer for the first time, that's between you and the Lord. I don't know. But congratulations. We'd love to help you and disciple you and just further along, get you further along down this road of, of life with Jesus. Amen.